No, we're talking, we're talking, no, you talked about Beavis and Butthead beforehand, but then after I said it, you kept talking. You talked about the movie. I'm just gonna fade it out from this conversation, <laughs> and this is where the banter starts. Hey, folks, welcome to Crashing the System. I'm under the weather right now, as you can tell. I have kind of a nasally. Can you hear that? Is that is that audible? You sound like. Okay. Well. <laughs> you just said you had more energy, though. Yeah, I have a, a lot more energy. I, we're, uh, we're all. I mean, I'm a little sick too. I, I'm just uh, sleepy. I've got a. I just want to go to bed. Phlegm. It's yeah. hot. Whenever it's hot outside, I want to go take a nap. Yeah. Yeah, it's what, I mean, animals yeah. do that. And they're right. just like, nah. Bears hibernate when it's hot, right? I know, when it's, when it's cold. Oh. oh, that's true. I always thought they hibernated during the no, winter. No, they hibernate during this. Well, you know, I, I, it's I, a was, winter. I was <laughs> it's taught winter. creationism in school, so I don't know. My whole, my, my foundation, uh, scientific foundation oh is like goodness. totally off. Oh my goodness. Because I went to a really backwards school where they said that like, you know, humans and dinosaurs were chilling out together i've been to the that'd cre- be so cool i've been to the creation that would be museum. so cool if it was true wild stuff no because like can you imagine hanging out with dinosaurs i watched a whole movie about this actually it's Dino- called jurassic Di- park no, 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 it's not no it's called the good dinosaur and the meteor misses the planet oh so millions of years oh. later when humans actually start to develop right um there are uh, dinosaurs who have also developed agricultural and livestock skills do they speak so the apatosauruses are literally like farmers and the t-rexes are ranchers i mean totally serious wow yeah it's weird and the human you know the human can't speak doesn't have language it's a baby human that lost its parents and stuff do the the dinosaurs have language oh yeah no they speak they they speak they speak english (laughs) so do their mouths look different the t-rexes have texas accents because they're they're like wranglers oh my god and they're wrangling. Like, I like that. They're wrangling caribou in the movie. They Did have li- little hats. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. Did you folks <laughs> yes, ever have do. a uh, dinosaur phase growing up? You know, when you're I, a kid, you like cars, trains, I Alexander. Did, I, didn't, like, trains. I did not. And I think the dinosaur thing came in after I, my childhood. Really, well, I was, that was like my thing when I was little. I had um, like a whole shelf of just, just like dinosaur figurines. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I remember uh, I loved reptiles and dinosaurs as well. And I remember going to the Lincoln Park Zoo and I would drag my mom, we're going to the reptile house. And I would go and sit in front of the <laughs> the, the the crocodile and it would just be still yeah, know, for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, yeah. an hour. And I would just like stare at it intensely. I used to go to the St. Louis Science Center with my mom. Wow, you guys are really going off on this. Yeah. yeah. And I'm was just also- over here thinking like, well, I had a basketball when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> No, I went to, I used to go to the St. Louis Science Center and that place was really cool. And every once in a while, they'd have like different exhibits where they, they had this big inflatable, kind of like a room, but it was like, like a tent, but they could still air, air condition it. Anyway, they would have like special exhibits there. And so they'd have like dinosaur stuff. And um, they, at one point they had like these animatronic dinosaurs oh hell yeah hell yeah nice oh my gosh it scared the crap out of me but i was also like but i want to go back like i'm scared but also that's really cool yeah i didn't all those all those things tweaked me severely when i was a kid i I was scared of any of that stuff like dummies or like oh Oh, it's really uncanny valley effect anything that's like yeah because your imagination is so so good i I really i didn't like stuffed animals either because i thought they might you know do (laughs) something to me no (laughs) i'm totally serious like all i wanted was like um you know to play outside and to read. I had to get rid of a cookie like, monster read. stuffed animal because I thought his eyes were just following me. Wow. Yeah. I, just, <laughs> I had a Toy Story figure <laughs> that I get rid of. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I just read. I would stay up all night reading sometimes, like just in my room. Nice. 
that, that's like if if I was anything as a kid, it was that. Like people thought I was like out playing sports, but no, what I was really doing was like just sitting in my room reading all of my parents' college books and stuff over and over again. Chronicles of Narnia, like seventy five thousand times. Take a look. It's in a book. Crashing the system. Episode fifty six. <laughs> Crashing the System podcast. Thanks. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> My name is Vex Humana in this uh, lovely big room with great acoustics, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Beecham. It's a beautiful day for a podcast. It's a beautiful it's day a, in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> and our it's engineer, Will. Hello, engineer, Will. What's up? Won't you be my neighbor? Crashing the System is recorded in Chicago's Albany Park neighborhood, home to one of the most diverse working class, and immigrant communities in the U.S. Produced by Answer Chicago and the Chicago branch of the Party for Socialism and Liberation, we here at Crashing the System bring you progressive movement news, news views, views, and analysis from a fighting, independent, political perspective. On today's show, we will be speaking with Patrick McWilliams about record high temperatures and heat waves around the world. And in News and Views, we will be speaking about the history of struggle in Honduras and child detention centers in the U.S., the political situation in Hong Kong, and the Women's World Cup. But first, here's co-host and Answer Chicago coordinator John Beecham with an editorial. This will not be the last time we cover the 2020 elections on Crashing the System. I wish that we didn't have to talk about or address the elections, which are a full 16 months away, but the horse race has already started dominating political discussions and spaces, especially after the first Democratic Party debates. Of course, the socialist movements and pro-people movements continue to grow, but mass politics is mostly focused on the presidential race. The ruling class is counting on the spectacle being the biggest game in society and detracting from independent political activity. But despite their usual tight control of the political discourse at the highest levels of power, the people have asserted themselves and forced the political debate in the direction of justice. The Democratic candidates, some willingly but most as a means to getting elected, are talking about universal health care, systemic racism, and a lot more. 
being talked about to a much lesser degree is the issue of endless U.S. war and war spending that poses a grave danger to the people of the planet. U.S. imperialism remains something that must not be talked about at any length. We must not talk about the fact that the United States is clearly the world's greatest aggressor ever. But in order to solve any of our problems, we must end U.S. imperialism. It's at the heart of, along with racism, everything we are fighting against. In the first debate, Joe Biden got blindsided by Kamala Harris. She was wrong when she said Biden's not racist. He is racist. Racism is his record. From border security to mass incarceration to the Iraq war, Biden has been and always will be an oppressor with a big O. When Harris lit him up on his segregationist politics, Biden was stunned, like he was expecting the same treatment Bernie gave Clinton when he gave her a pass in 2016 on her deeply reactionary record. In fact, Bernie pretty much defended Biden. He didn't address the issue, and in his very next comment, he said Joe was right about something. Harris, on the other hand, is no friend of the people. As a prosecutor, she was a mass incarcerationist in reality. She's still a cop who makes fun of Black Lives Matter protesters. Honestly, I don't see a whole lot of hope in the Democratic field. I see hope in where the debate is being made to go by the movement of the peoples, but we need action. We need much, much more than debates. We need and will have an orientation to the elections, but we also must focus on continuing to build a mass socialist movement and a bigger and bigger wing of that movement that has a revolutionary outlook. There's no way that a system that presents us Joe Biden as a front runner will be reformed out of the situations we are in. So you should join the party for socialism and liberation. Crashing the system needs your support. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to the real resistance, then please go to patreon.com slash crashing the system and become a monthly patron. You can also donate on PayPal at answer at chicagoanswer.net and Crashing the System podcast on GoFundMe. Every single penny you contribute will be used to crash this racist, sexist, homophobic system. And now it's time for news and views. And you know, it's been a while since we've had a proper news and views. We've been away for a bit and just doing the uh, Midwest Socialism Conference, which you can catch some highlights from in our last episode, episode 54. This is episode 56, correct, John? Well, we had a big debate about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And so um, we're kind of covering a lot of things right now. And so- something that we wanted to cover in the past two weeks is um, the anti-government protests in Honduras to commemorate the 10-year anniversary of President Zelaya, which was who was ousted following a CIA-backed coup in uh, Hillary, Honduras. Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama. Hillary in 2009, that's right. Um, and uh, as a result of that, you have people taking the streets and fleeing the country uh, for fear of violence. There's a lot of drug trafficking. It's funny. We were Well, it's not funny as much as it is, you know, f- infuriating. But uh, we have a CNN article here we have pulled up, and the uh, lead is uh, dead protesters of failed state and accusations of high-level drug trafficking. This time, it's not Venezuela in the headlines, but U.S. ally Honduras. Um, yeah, 
what do we think about this? Well, I think it certainly explains why, uh, you know, we were that's mentioning mm-hmm. Venezuela. I think it certainly explains why Venezuela has asked for military support from Russia and China yeah. and received outside medical support because they don't want this to happen to their people. Absolutely. And so related to this, too, are the, uh, you know, people living in concentration camp-like conditions here in the United States. No beds, no soup, no clean water, no soup. No re- nothing. No toothbrushes. No nothing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Absolutely. Horrible. In ab- abhorrent conditions. I think you're going to say no soap, right? No soap. Yeah. yeah. Well, autocorrect. There yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and we have children being put on trial and 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 yeah there's there's protests all over the united states in opposition to the most recent wave of ice raids and all of this is interconnected you know you have people fleeing honduras and mexico and other places in in latin america precisely because of u.s uh intervention and u.s foreign policy affecting the uh, economies of these countries and and making it so that drug traffickers can run rampant um and and all of this you know contributing to this crisis which is not so much a crisis of immigrants or anything else, but a crisis of capitalism. And so I wanted to bring this to the table because this is something that's pretty near and dear to me as somebody from a mixed status family who, you know, as a child, I was wondering, hey, is my family going to be taken away? You know, and uh, there's actually an action coming up. Uh, Take action to end criminalization, detention and deportation on Saturday, uh, July 13th at 11 a.m. at the Daily Center in Chicago. So if you're in Chicago, come out. Um, We'll be there. Yeah, I wanted to say two, maybe three things. The first thing is, yes, very, very important that everyone across the country is mobilizing for these protests. Uh, And the second thing I wanted to say is kind of related, and it's something Vex said about her family. And look, here's the thing. These are human beings. These are families being torn apart mercilessly and people living, again, in concentration camp-type Uh, conditions people who are maybe not going to be that willing I hope that they are to do the things necessary to defend themselves politically by coming out to a mass demonstration so this makes it even more important this makes this this is solidarity this is how you get unity is you build these demonstrations are broad you know many of them are being called by uh, by wings or components of the Democratic Party um, and the politics is, is all over the place. But the fact that these demonstrations are happening and there's a possibility for all of us, including us revolutionaries and socialists, to help build solidarity when it's needed. Yep. This is when it happens. And solidarity against and try to build solidarity against the entire system. Because do you remember in 2009, again? Uh, well, I wanted to point you know? something out here, too. Yeah. When I was having these anxieties, well, they've never left. You know, that's always something in the back of your mind, sure. you know, if you come from a mixed status family um, or an undocumented family is all of this, all of that was under the Obama administration. Right. You know, that was when that was happening. I mean, there's a reason as to why we call him the deporter in chief. You know what I mean? And that long legacy actually did get brought up uh, during the Democratic, the huh. Dem debates. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, when the moderator asked Joe Biden a question about Obama's <laughs> legacy of, of deportation and criminalization. Uh, there's actually a great screenshot of Biden's face. <laughs> you know, he just looks so flabbergasted. Oop. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
and she, he said well it's it's actually it's you know he just looked really out of touch and racist but he's like it's it's abhorrent that you're comparing uh what obama did to what trump's doing now you know and yeah. trying to whip up that anti-trump uh sentiment it just didn't work yeah and do you remember in 2014 when the this crisis of children coming to the border uh i don't think it necessarily started then but it became a, a national discussion because there were larger numbers of unaccompanied minors coming to the border. Remember when Hillary Clinton said we should send them back? Yeah. Now I'm going to pause here. Do you all remember when Hillary Clinton said send them, send them back? That's why it, it's very, very important, right, for us to, while we're engaging in this movement, uh, boldly, calmly, you know, ad- advocate and continue to educate about the fact that this is, I know we talk about it all the time, but it's the system, right? This is not going to be fixed by a democratic debate, a pri- like a primary debate season that lasts for months and months and months and months and months. Action needs to be taken and it needs to be taken by the people. Again, that's why other things need to happen, but the, the protests that are happening they really need to be a focal point of our activity right now. So once again, that protest is take action and criminalization, detention and deportation. It's on Saturday, July 13th at 11 a.m. at the Daily Center in Chicago. Yeah, and all across the country will be mobilizing uh, in, in, in Chicago. Just pay attention to our Facebook and Twitters. We'll have more information about how you can get involved and join us. Absolutely. So moving on, John. Let's move on. You've got a story for us re- relating to uh, Hong Kong. Well, this one's going to be shorter. Uh, it's just that there was, there's an editorial that's going around the interwebs, the social medias, um, and it's an opinion piece in the Globe and Mail, uh, and it's by Amy Lai, I believe is the way you pronounce it, and, and she's an op-ed contributor, and the headline is, in Hong Kong, colonialism isn't a bad word. It's a legacy worth fighting for. Yikes. This, this, this is, well, this is someone who is, I just blew into is my mic. sympathetic I apologize. with, this is someone who's anti-China, sympathetic with the anti-China protests going on in Hong Kong that are going on over an extradition law. It really was just whatever excuse that they could find to start, you know, you know the U.S. is involved in this, obviously, a right-wing protest against China. And China has brought this up. China is saying, hey, look, the, the protesters are waving the old colonial British flag. Right. They're hearkening back to British co- colonialism and the Western powers are acting colonial. And, and, and this, is just, this is just simple. Simple thing I wanted to say. And then, well, yeah. yes. Yeah. But there's a lot of protests that go on around the world that are right wing. And as, I've been, as long as I've been doing this, the right wing protests become more and more obviously right wing and CIA back, they're becoming a little more ostentatious with it. You know, there's a, a line sort of from like what happened in Ukraine to what's happening here, where you have literally like very reactionary elements in these protests. Right. And, and just because a protest is happening and there's in a government repression or there's government response to a protest, right, does not mean that that protest is supportable. We must understand and know the political content we don't, we don't support people who are advocating for a return to British colonialism. Full stop. Well, Well, the actual extradition bill, one of the things that helped it sort of come into the mainstream and drew the Chinese government's attention to the need for this was someone in, was it Taiwan, killed someone and then fled to Hong Kong. 
Yeah, yeah, feminine. I believe that's it. So a pregnant woman. Yeah, so he he killed butcher a pregnant this woman. woman. Yes. Butcher this woman. And so yeah. they're defending that guy, like they're saying he shouldn't. Have, there's no way he should have been extradited. In, in essence, I mean, they're saying China will use these laws to like snatch people from Hong Kong. It's just yeah, yeah. Extradition law is just law. Well, but do you want to be a safe haven for these kinds of people? Like, right, do you really right. want some guy to yeah, just yeah. like kill a pregnant woman and then just go hide? Like, no, yeah, that's hey, not safe hey, for anybody. Hey, you can go do whatever you want on the Chinese mainland and just come back to Hong Kong and they can't extradite you. And that's basically what they're saying. Yeah. And you have just to your point about how how these protests have become more ostentatious, more overtly right wing. You know, you have somebody holding a sign and a picture saying, you know, we used to be the jewel of the Orient. You know, the queen made us the jewel of the Orient. The communists ruined that. And that's like referencing that brutal legacy of British colonialism with, you know, uh, addiction and and plunder and all of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? How can you, there's no way you can spin that. So it's an optimistic, happy thing. We, un- we understand that people have sympathy when they see protesters, which is a good thing. I mean, which is also kind of weird in the United States because this, anybody who's, who's a protester like we are, knows how difficult this state makes us f- to do protesting and actually get any publicity for it. So it's good that people are feeling sympathetic with protesters. And, but we got to say, just the the protests in Hong Kong and a lot of other protests that do happen, uh, I mean, it's got to be the political content. And it's got to be the political content you look at, and we don't necessarily always side with the protesters. That's right. Straight I, up. I say this all the time, too. I mean, why would the same mainstream media that consistently smears Black Lives Matter, the water protectors, any protest movement with the, in the United States that's progressive, suddenly be so invested in uplifting, you know, whether, whether, whether it's uh, opposition demonstrations mm-hmm, within mm-hmm. Venezuela or Nicaragua or now in Hong Kong? You know, why would they be so invested in, in doing yeah. uh, PR for these movements? And these, yeah, this is not the first protest protests in Hong Kong they had there's a few years ago where they happened a round of protests happened too and those protesters were all feted by the by the NED but you know backed by the CIA and stuff very right wing very western quote unquote western looking well you have to look like at, at these movements and and the content of them and, and kind of figure out you know who's the benefactor which yeah. class benefits from them getting their way well well i also just think that their message is hypocritical like it's not even like a very clear message because they're talking about having you know they don't want to they don't want extradition laws because of you know various reasons where they they're talking about the chinese government being oppressive and right, right. the judicial system not working but like in 1997 you know they became part of china it's one country right. two systems yeah yeah no china has been very yeah. i mean the united states would never do that yeah well and so like the these you know the government there agreed to that that's the terms that they've agreed to after the handover from sure. Britain, you know, like we're decolonizing Hong Kong. And now it's just like totally overtly just we're going to hang the British colonial flag. I know. We said we were going to be brief on this, but I just thought about something else. And it's just literally that right away the protests became violent. And um, it's not that um, supportable protests don't have that element into it, you know, um, uh, necessarily. But it's often when people respond to the violence of the police. Yeah. In the Hong Kong protests, the reverse happened, right? The reverse happened. And that, that has to be factored in when we're thinking about these situations. Not is there violence, right? 
but like who's looking to who who's looking to start it for what reason yeah. and for what political reason the political reason here is to have the protest be violent so that the united states and britain could step in and say oh look how awful the chinese repressive uh, communist state is get yourselves beat up so we can have a photo op yeah yeah specifically Excellent. we can move on now. we can move on now. all right so moving on now we have the women's world cup and engineer will has the story i'm just going to play a clip real quick yeah let's hear it Excited about um, going to the White House. I'm not going to the White House. <laughs> so who's? What did we just listen to? That is Megan Rapinoe from the American national team, uh, the women's American national soccer team. Yeah. Um, they've been in the news lately because she's in the past said uh, she's told Mike Pence to fuck off. Mm-hmm. Um, she's openly gay, and you know, like her already. Yeah. Yeah. She's she seems all right, <laughs> and um, she's a good player too. Yeah, and was she the the player that took a knee for, in solidarity with Kaepernick? Yeah, that's her. Yeah, that and her. Uh, you know, so she makes the news a lot because she speaks her mind, and she usually has somewhat progressive things to say. Yeah. So I, I think she's pretty cool. Um, and then you know, a lot of women soccer players have over I don't know, how long has this been going on their protest of their wages. Uh forever. Yeah, several years. Yes, yeah. so it's they their wages are far below the men's wages, mm. and so they they frequently protest that, um, and so I I think we were just going to bring this up and kind of talk about the the differences between the way that men's sports and women's sports are treated. Well, I would just like to say uh, I don't root for the U.S. soccer teams. Who's your team, John? Well, I like the Chicago Fire. I do root for them, and I do root for Mexico. Beyond that, I don't really root I, for others. John, I could just kiss you. <laughs> well, wow. You can, after the podcast. All right. <laughs> All right. Jesus. Um, well, what I was going to say, I got, I got a little flustered there. What I was going to say <laughs> is, um, you know, the pay equity thing is ridiculous because the women's game is very popular. A lot of money's made off of it. I actually saw that uh, boys are wearing Megan Rapinoe's jerseys and uh, the other women's team's jerseys, right? Which is kind of cool. Maybe oh, yeah. a little bit of a side note, but like, cool. Um, something like that's never really happened before, especially in such a society like this that's so um, patriarchal and sexist and homophobic. It's really kind of cool. Um, but th- they're more successful. The women's team is going for their fifth World Cup tomorrow. We're, this will be actually, this is we're recording Saturday, this is Sunday. And they're not getting paid anywhere near the amount that men are, and, and it's across the board. And you know, actually they're starting to cash in on the women's game. Because all over Europe now, there are like the teams, the men's teams are dumping money into the women's sports and actually promoting them because they're making money off of it. But their pay is so far behind where um, it used to be. And I don't remember her name, but the basically the best uh, player in Europe set out the World Cup this year because she, she she's all like, you're not paying. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not your slave. You know, you can't just like pay us less and expect me to perform for you on a world stage. All right, so the player we're talking about is Ada Hegeberg, okay. and she's from Norway, mm. and she's sitting out, you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Protest. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And people should... Uh, I, I've been watching it myself uh, with Alexander. I love soccer. I actually... It wasn't uh, soccer games, but basketball. Football. Well... Real football. Yeah, but basketball games, when I was younger... Um, I grew up around Champagne, and mm-hmm. so the, the Illini games, like the men's games were... Back then, they had a really good team when I was younger. Sure. And so those games were expensive. And 
you could right. always go to the women's games because they were cheaper and no one would go. Like the seats would be mostly empty. I mean, not most, you know, like the, they wouldn't fill up to the top. And so you could just, whenever you wanted to see a basketball game, you could go watch the women's team and they still played really well. And it was like an exciting game to watch, but no one wanted to watch them. And it was really sad. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's mini sewed material. I don't know how we would do it, but I mean, women in sports. I think it'd know? be great. You know, just that historically, you know, shafted, you know, by, by the, uh, the bosses and people who own the teams and stuff like that. I mean, we kind of touched on this in the uh, politics of wrestling episode that sure, we sure. did, sure. but I and think it would be good to go more well, in depth in it. Well, sure too. That too. I mean, uh, but another example is the, uh, the racism and the misogyny and almost like the transphobia that was like pitted against Castor Semenya. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's just like par for the course if you're like a black woman. In, mm-hmm. in, uh, mm-hmm. in sports, mm-hmm. you know? It's just ridiculous. Well, we could talk about that stuff too because the women's national team is like super white and not very brown. You know, and there's a couple black players on the national team. And that's because it's become a whole industry and, and, and it's, this, happen, this has happened in a lot of sports. In baseball, over time, there's become less and less black athletes and more and more of those black athletes are usually from like Latin America. Didn't they make a rule that Cuban baseball players can't come to America anymore? Uh, uh, they're in negotiations, I think. I don't know if they've come to any conclusion yeah. with that. Um, but it's, it's completely, everything that happens in sports, it's like, it's not a coincidence that uh, this, this, the things happen on the football stage. I mean, it seems like it's so, the NFL owners are so racist and everything else, right? And they're some of the richest people in the country. But all, all the issues that happen in, in, in life happen you know, in sports, in, in some senses to a greater degree, because it's there, there's a stage, there's a platform. And um, I mean, just one thing else that we could probably throw in the mix if we talk about this on a, on a mini-sode and sh- shout, you know, hit us back if you want us to do a women in sports or racism and sexism, homophobia in sports mini-sode. I, I, I kind of like the idea. Yeah. But I mean, I also grew up a sport, so it'd be something that'd be fairly easy for me to do. But the thing I was going to say is, you know, there's there are some real bad racist things that have happened in soccer stadiums around Europe and in oh, other yeah. places. Yeah, I mean, there are soccer players that have quit national teams or threatened to quit national teams because of the racism of their own fans. Um, the Turkish, the famous Turkish striker, and I can't think of his name right now. He quit the German team because he and he's like, you know, when I score, I'm German, and when I don't, I'm Turkish. And he's like, I'm just not taking this anymore. I'm not playing for Germany. So anyway. There's also some very positive things that have happened at soccer games. Oh, yeah. Like a lot of Palestinian solidarity. Palestinian solidarity, that's true. It's pretty awesome. There, there's a left-wing element in soccer games, too. There's like left-wing hooligans. Left-wing people yeah. can like sports, you know? Well, f- funny story. There, there actually it used to be, and there may still be, there were members of party, the Party for Socialism and Liberation that were part of a like left-wing socialist Chicago fire crew. I don't know if you know the way it goes, but teams have their own little clubs oh, wow. yeah. that are fans. And That's I don't funny. know exactly what it's called. Yeah, we don't have any of those members doing that anymore. But at one point we did. That's awesome. At one point we did. Well, I think that's an excellent place to leave news and views for this episode. News and views. News and views. Peace. <laughs> and now... A word from our producing organizations. Crashing the System is produced by Answer Chicago and the Chicago branch of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Answer Chicago is the local chapter of a national organization. Act now to stop war and end racism. 
that's dedicated to building a nationwide, independent, fighting mass movement for real change. You can follow Answer Chicago on Facebook and Twitter, or check out the website at answerchicago.org. The Party for Socialism and Liberation believes that socialism, the collective ownership of society's wealth and rational economic planning, is the solution to the environmental crisis, endless war, racism, and all of the evils of capitalism and class society. We believe that in order to achieve socialism, a society of equality and plenty, we must have a revolution. The old order of competition, alienation, and oppression must be replaced by a new world of cooperation, sharing, and real equality. We have branches all over the United States and many friends around the world. We are building a party of revolutionaries to help make the people's dreams of peace and prosperity a reality. We hope you join us, either as a member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation or as a friend in the struggle. You can follow PSL Chicago on Facebook and Twitter or our website at pslweb.org. And now we're going to welcome Patrick McWilliams, a Midwest coordinator of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. It's been a while since we've heard from you. I hope you're keeping uh, cool today, Patrick. Doing my best. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Very glad to, to be back here. It is, it is a hot one. Yeah, yeah, hopefully you're still keeping a punk rock. Yeah, and, and speaking of keeping it cool, I mean, there have been record temperatures in Alaska, I want to say it went up to 90 degrees, which is the first time in recorded history. Um, there's a heat wave up to 120 degrees in India. Europe is having a hot summer as well. Uh, people just can't seem to beat the heat. Can you let us know what's going on, Patrick? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, as you said, we've been seeing these record temperatures um, all across the globe. In fact, it just came out that uh, last June is now the hottest June uh, ever. Um, global t- in terms of global temperatures um, that has ever been recorded. Um, and, you know, these uh, heat waves, these extreme temperatures that used to be, um, you know, once in a century, once every 50-year events, um, you know, we're now seeing year after year. It seems like almost every year there's a new uh, record-breaking temperature. And, um, yeah, seeing more than 90 degrees in, in Anchorage, Alaska, um, you know, forcing even cancellations of fireworks and heat advisories, you know, things that um, just a couple years ago um, you never would have expected to see in places like Alaska um, is really, really concerning. I mean, I think it shows that climate change is no longer some uh, far-off hypothetical or something that we have to think about in the future. It's something that's here right now that's having dire consequences that's, um, you know, already killed uh, hundreds of people uh, in India, as was mentioned before, and and in many other places across the globe. And yet, uh, you know, the increase in um, the output of greenhouse gases, of carbon emissions, is continuing apace, um, despite the fact that anyone who can just feel the air outside realizes how dire and how, you know, out of the norm what we're experiencing right now in these beginning stages of the effects already is. Yeah. I mean, the reason why we wanted to talk about this is because I saw a headline that asked the question if parts of India were becoming uninhabitable because of the high temperatures during this time of year. On Alaska, the governor canceled firework sales because they're so concerned about, you know, because there's heat waves like this, then you have situation in the forest yeah wildfires and yeah all where things become much more combustible and those have also been getting worse 
Um, I wanted to, well, and then in, in uh, Europe, uh, Europe and North Africa, I'm looking at the map here, are just on this uh, map are just red. They've had, I guess it's five days in a row of record, of record heat. I mean, players in the, in the Women's World Cup, for example, they're playing games later. They're stopping the game so the women can actually hydrate. They, they don't have stoppages, like mandated stoppages in soccer games. Um, so it's a it's it's like a huge huge problem, and we kind of, I mean it's it's like sort of one of those bad news things, but we wanted to highlight it. I don't know, Patrick. Are there other things that are happening, or are there specific things about this heat wave? Do you think that are worth mentioning? Maybe more time. Well, I think it's very important. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, very, you know, very important as you said to highlight it. I mean, obviously, it, it is you know kind of depressing news to see these um, you know as you said that is just so out of the ordinary um, the kinds of temperatures that we're we're seeing that um, you know even basic things you know like the World Cup you know are not able to continue um, as as they normally would um, you know and talking about the fire risk obviously we saw um, you know this past year a number of record forest fires uh, here in the U S and California and we see these sort of ancillary um, you know, effects of climate change as things become drier, things become hotter, um, you know, the, the risk, um, not just for these heat waves, but for, you know, catastrophic fires increases as well. We're also starting to see um, a lot of effects on uh, agriculture. In fact, I know uh, corn production, um, both here in the U.S. and uh, China, has been severely affected uh, by, by the weather patterns, the um, irregular uh, heat and uh, wetness of, of, um, <clears throat> of the recent growing season um, that have really... Uh, you know, been uh, kind of a shock to commodity prices, um, things that, you know, are used for, for people's food. Um, so, you know, we're seeing uh, these, you know, kind of uh, cascading uh, effects from, from climate change, uh, from these increasing temperatures that are going to, you know, not only be causing severe weather events and, um, you know, die simply from the heat, uh, you know, but also going to be affecting global food supplies um, and making, as you said, certain regions of the globe uh, uninhabitable um, as well, uh, saying that, you know, regions of India and Pakistan um, could become, you know, uninhabitable for for humans in, in the not too distant future. And these are places with, you know, more than a billion people living in them, almost a sixth of the world's uh, population uh, suddenly, you know, not being able to, to stay in their home, uh, to stay where they live. And obviously this is also going to um, cause a huge, uh, you know, refugee crisis that, you know, the current capitalist system, um, you know, we can see how they deal with, um, you know, refugees from, um, you know, imperialist conflicts and other things. I, I mean, there's no way that they're going to be able to humanely or sustainably deal, um, you know, with that kind of massive migration that's being forced uh, on people by by these dire climate changes. Um, but, but despite, I, I guess, all this, you know, kind of sounds like the doom and gloom, I, I, I do think... And, and, you know, it's clear that things are going to get worse before they get better because, you know, so much of the carbon emissions are already in the atmosphere, already trapped there, and there's, the, you know, kind of a delayed cycle before we start to see the effects. 
but I do think we have to emphasize that, you know, the technology is there. Uh, you know, the know-how is there. Human beings, we, we do have the ability, um, you know, to solve this problem. If we've been able to solve the massive, um, you know, technological uh, problems that have faced us in the past, I think obviously we can do this as well. The thing is, it's going to take a massive you know, restructuring of the global economy, a massive diversion of our resources, of our, of our human potential, of our know-how, uh, you know, towards solving this problem. Um, you know, that is, can't be done under the current uh, economic system and arrangement can't be done under capitalism, um, but it certainly can be done under, you know, a socialist economy, one where profit is not driving anything, but instead just the desire and the need, um, you know, to meet human needs. Um, and so I, I think it just speaks to the urgency uh, to fight for that solution because, you know, the planet really uh, can't wait. But I do believe that we can and will make that change, and I think we have to. Absolutely, Patrick. I was actually just wondering, you know, well, not just wondering, but, you know, I know that the people, the majority of the people who are going to confront these conditions, these worsening conditions with regard to climate change, they're not going to be rich, wealthy, well-to-do people. You know, they're going to be working and oppressed people, black people, as we've seen in Louisiana, in Texas and other places in Puerto Rico, other places across um, the country and around the world. Um, and uh, as well, just to your point about the refugee cut crisis that would be uh, subsequent to all of this, I mean, there's going to be um, more and more so climate change violence, you know, as we've seen in Christchurch, you know, people I think like that's true. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think that's true. And mm -hmm. let me add, mm -hmm. let me um, sort of go off that or add to that a little bit. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Patrick, when you were describing or when we're talking about we're talking about one aspect, the heat wave, and then we start talking about the forest fires, and we start talking about agriculture, and then we start talking about potential growth of the refugee crisis. I mean, we're not even talking about some other things, just the, you know, the, the, the quality of the air, the quality of the planet. We're not talking about the rising waters. There are other things, but it makes me think, yes, like it's going to obviously affect the most, the poorest among us, the most oppressed, the people who are already, um, set upon by this system but really it does it sounds corny but it's one planet and there is one human race i know it sounds corny and we're, we're, we we come at things from a class perspective but nonetheless it, it, there really has to be some type of unity amongst the world's population to deal with something of this magnitude and i agree with everything you said about socialism patrick and i think we should be talking about that because what else is the vision or ideology that is going to actually bring about this idea that it's one planet and we are all, right, we are all necessarily have to take care of it together, have to do the types of things that can save the planet and that can lead to a sustainable future, which has to happen. It has to happen from, for, for the most oppressed and poorest people, right, because the wealthiest people, some of them are talking about going to Mars, you know what I mean, or building, yeah, yeah. Or building <laughs> fortresses in New right. Zealand. Or literally, you know, there's a company or companies that refit old nuclear silos as bunkers for these people, and they're all sold out. They're all mm. sold out, right? Mm -hmm. So this is definitely something that workers and oppressed people, the toilers of the planet, can find a basis for unity. But it really is about, you know, it is about having a future. I mean, it's right in front of us. The heat waves are just one example. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I think that's, um, you know, that's so true. And I, I think that, you know, like you said, trying to, um, 
you know, just, just realize that we do have this shared interest. I mean, you know, we can talk about that a lot when talking about, you know, economics and political power, but I think it becomes also very stark when we're just talking about, you know, the continued survival of the species, um, you know, which is really what's at stake here when we're looking at an existential crisis like climate change. And so obviously, yeah, we vast majority of humanity has a very much shared interest in keeping this planet habitable, keeping, um, you know, those sea levels where they are, keeping, uh, you know, agriculture and and food, um, you know, production continuing. And it it really, I I think, kind of breaks through all the the divisions, the national borders, the attempts to divide the world, um, you know, that have been going on, um, you know, really since the start of of class society. Um, You know, we're kind of reaching, I I think, the, um, you know, what, what could be seen as, you know, just the reaping what's been sown there, um, you know, and, and it's becoming increasingly clear that those sorts of uh, divisions are, are, you know, not just unnecessary, not just false, but, you know, suicidal um, in a way for us, us as a species. And so, um, you know, it's very important for us to break through that, realize that shared interest, you know, realize that for those of us who can't go, um, you know, terraform Mars, but this is the planet that we've got, and uh, you know we need to we need to make sure we can unite uh, to fight and protect it. I was thinking how we could bring in some science fiction to this, and I, I, I decided not to do it. But then you went there. That's why I was laughing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, so much of what is was science fiction when I was a kid is happens now. So like we make the stuff we have. You know, we make the stuff that we put in science fiction real. Um, I can video chat with my son Alexander on the phone. I mean, when I was growing up, that was, that was science fiction. Yeah, that's some I, I never Star thought Trek I'd see stuff. that really, honestly. So, but it's not, it's not, it's, it, it's science. We're, human beings were scientists and we're practitioners. We're artists. You know, the other thing, the, the, it's often juxtaposed science and art and we're supposed to, you know, art is, art is actually making things that human beings make their own world. We make our own societies. That we have the, that we do that. Like as Marxists, we're like, yes, we do that. H- human beings make ourselves. We've made ourselves. We've made our societies. So I really like Patrick that you wove into this interview the can-do stuff, the art stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And to your point about doom and gloom, I'm like, yeah, you know, what we're facing is pretty dire. Can kind of be a bummer, I guess, more than just a bummer. But uh, you know, that's and, and we see so many reports in the. Uh, in mainstream media about like the extinction of the human race and stuff like that. And it's just like, yeah, they want to put out those kind of stories to petrify you because that hopelessness and embracing that hopelessness very often, uh, leads to an action. You know? Yeah. The zombie stuff, the post Armageddon yeah. so, sort of post Armageddon stuff. stuff. Well, it's always like if this current society destroys itself, then humans will have worse societies. You, you never, you ever, as if, or worse problems. As if folks in like Katrina weren't like banding together and looking right, after right, each right. other and getting each other food and water. You know what I mean? A whole portion of the population in the United States banded together to donate money for folks yeah. in those conditions. And all the people out there were, were, who can find jobs in the United States now working two jobs to support themselves or working very hard or working overtime or working 60 hour weeks. I mean, there is a lot of a thread of human beings, which I think is really beautiful. And that's, getting things done that must be done yeah and and we needed and socialism is just doing that on a larger scale uniting workers 
tapping into the power that we already have and making it real power, real power. So I think that's a good place to end. I think we've gone over time. Um, Will is actually graciously <laughs> not giving us the signal, but um, <laughs> no, well, he's fine. twiddling away at his he's mustache tw- yeah, behind the controls in the, <laughs> in the control room. Will, Will's, Will's the best engineer that has ever engineered a, a podcast. Well, Patrick, thank you for coming on a crashing the system. It's been a pleasure having you on. Is there anything thank you'd you. like, anything you'd like to leave us with before we uh, bring this to a close? Anything that's not science fiction? Patrick. Oh yeah, no. Well, thank you for for having me on. I mean, I just want to say that I think um, you know that point about the human potential, about what we are really able to accomplish. I think is so important. Um, you know, despite all the all the gloom out there, I think it's important for us to just uh, keep that in mind that we can do this, we will do this. We just have to fight for it and unite. Absolutely, thank you, Patrick. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you. Have a have a great day. Bye. That's it for this episode. Make sure to spread the word, share, tweet, or subscribe to us on Patreon. Catch our podcast every week on Spotify. SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Join Answer Chicago and the Party for Socialism and Liberation. But even more than that, join the real resistance to this racist, billionaire-dominated system that would rather fund endless imperialist wars than feed the poor. Thanks for joining Crashing the System. My name is Will, Vex, John, and myself may be done with this episode. Oh, didn't even let me say anything. (laughs) You gotta be be Uh. quick. You gotta be quick. We are in no way done organizing to crash the system and build a better world from its ashes. Take care. Bye. Take care.